Welcome back to Nothing Scarier Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kayla. And I'm Courtney. And we're tired. Yep. Which, in the podcast world, you're not typically supposed to start with the fact that you're tired, but we're also very truthful, so we're both very tired. We also have jobs. Yeah. I currently have two jobs, (laughs) okay? True. We also have jobs. This is not our job, unfortunately. (laughs) Not yet. We're putting it. No. We're hoping. I'm going to manifest that eventually. Manifesting girlies. Yeah. It's this Uh, time of year. Uh, I'm going to write it down on a piece of paper 6,000 times and let the universe do its thing. (laughs) But I think Um, really hard. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. I mean, uh, aside from from tired, tis the season to be tired as well. Uh, how, How are you doing? Good. I'm home. I got yeah. cats. Yeah. yeah. Drinking a beer. I'm drinking a cookie flavored milk stout. I don't know what cookie it tastes like, but it just tastes good. Does it just say cookie? It says cookie exchange milk stout. It's from Great Lakes Brewing Company. It's good shit. This is not an ad. Sponsor me beer people. But it's good. It's got like sugar cookies on it, but it doesn't taste like a sugar cookie. It just it tastes good. Sounds good. Very festive. I'm just drinking a hot chocolate over here. I thought about putting peppermint in it and then promptly forgot, so I didn't. I saw hot chocolate Oreos at Aldi today, and I mm-hmm. almost got them, but it said marshmallow, and I went, Love it. No. Love it. I, yes. Yeah, I know. Yes. Yeah, I know. I was like, mm-mm. No, I don't, I don't need that marshmallow flavor. No, thank you. We had that that good, my family calls it fruit salad, taint salad. Uh, Ambrosia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's just it's the marshmallow canned fruit and whipped topping all mixed together. What's up, Midwest? Uh, I took like a <laughs> Midwest whole Midwest salads that aren't salads. Yeah, <laughs> like a whole to go container home, and I've just been eating marshmallows at like ten thirty at night. Don't they get even like night. weirderly weirderly? That's not a word. Like even a worse texture after they sit in like Cool Whip. <laughs> yeah, because like this, like it does like this hydrophobic thing, and you have. Like, you're able to pour the liquid out once it gets to a certain cold in your no! fridge. And you could mix it back together and it would be the same as before. But I kind of like it that way. <laughs> Just a little dry. Um, I'm going to make you, like, an ass pick one day. A, a what? It's like when they did, like, Jello, but they put, like, asparagus in it and shit. Okay, because like I thought you just said the words to me. I'm going to make you an ass pick. No, like aspic. Like a pick. No. Okay. Aspic. Yeah, that sounds much better. Um, I try it like asparagus. That's fine. We were talking at Thanksgiving about um, <laughs> my. Oh, it's sorry. Correction. It's a savory jelly prepared with like stock, like beef stock, but you put like vegetables and shit in it. It's like okay, mid century. Jelly is different than jello marshmallows I, those pieces like i'm not over here gonna I eat feel like coagulated you're a texture girl i'm just saying <laughs> i'd try it ooh, spaghetti aspic ooh ooh don't look that up <laughs> don't google that physically cringe <laughs> oh the 50s are so brutal oh god anyway uh yeah we were talking at dinner about like uh grammy's to make like I thought it was pistachio jello, but it, that's just the color. So it's like pistachio green. It's like lime jello with walnuts. Waldorf salad. Yeah. yeah. Like 
walnuts, uh, pineapple. It's mixed with whipped cream, so it's like mm-hmm. like cloudy. That's good. That's good I, shit. I would eat that with as long as there wasn't a goddamn marshmallow in it. I love like whipped cream and like Jello and shit yeah. like that. I'm, yeah, get the fuck, get away from me, <laughs> little weird marshmallow. Get out of here. Uh, did you have a nice Thanksgiving? Yeah, it was Thanksgiving. It's food. It was fine. It's great. Watch football. Didn't watch. Didn't watch a minute of football. Did lose in my fantasy league though. Um. <laughs> surprising you it's fun uh yeah i got i got invited to um my sister's in-laws not my sister-in-law my sister's in-laws future in-laws house for thanksgiving it was really nice got to hang out with friends over there we had dinner it was beautiful they got a gorgeous house fantastic food and then saturday was family thanksgiving so we've had nothing but amazing leftovers for like a week straight i'm talking marshmallows turkey Nobody Yams. in my family, so good. except me, or except me, except my sister, listens to this podcast. I'm just going to go out there and say I'm a better cook than most <laughs> of my family. Or maybe I just have like my own tastes. And when I was making Thanksgiving on my own during the pandemic, <laughs> yeah. I was having a great time. At other people's houses, I'm like, mm, I'm good. This is like, all right. I'm just going to come out and say it. This Hot is take. Right. I'm the best cook. <laughs> Hot take. I'm a good cook. <laughs> one day, one day we're gonna be able to invite folks for dinner. I'm gonna bake everything under the sun, and you're gonna cook Ugh. everything beautifully. Nobody will be able to leave. Everybody's rolling out of there. It'll just be a up. bread shaped like a turkey, and I'll eat yes. all of it. <laughs> beautiful. You could probably make a be- a bread loaf shaped like a turkey because yeah, you're an artiste. I, I feel like I could have. It would. Yeah. It would look a little. Like you'd been through something the first time around, but give me two times, <laughs> two times, and you'd perfect it. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking anyway. of people and getting together and all that that good stuff, <laughs> we watched us this week. Segways are difficult. <laughs> I mean, I guess they all got together. Yeah, I mean, they uh, did in the movie. Everybody came they're together. Technically, at one relatives, point. right? That's a good relatives? philosophical question. Is a doppelganger a relative? Are they these well, ones? Especially were clones, like these. So technically, ones. they were related. Yeah. Is a clone yeah, but related, is a clone? Though? But is a clone you or is it like a relative? Because because identical twins are technically like clones, right? Because they're like the uh, same genetically. Yeah, but I don't think. But they're their they're own clones, people. But they're the same. But they're like the same genetically and everything. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. They can get but, like. Like, one twin can do a crime, the other twin can get pegged for it kind of situation. Like, that close. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, like, is that the same thing? What a what a brain teaser. Yeah, I need somebody much smarter than me to, to yeah. qualify if a clone is a relative. Is that like your or sister? Or is it you? Technically, because you're different, but not different. Yeah, I would, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, clones. Anyway, clones. Us. Clones. Yeah, so we watched Us, and I'm just going to jump right into it, and we're going we're to talk about it, because that's what we do. So Us released in 2019, and it is a psychological horror film created by Jordan Peele. The cast features Lupita Nyong'o, Winston Duke, Elizabeth Moss, and Tim Heidecker. 
the narrative centers around Adelaide, Adeline, they call her Addie in the movie, uh, Wilson and her family who find themselves under threat from a menacing group of doppelgangers known as the Tethered. Um, Us debuted at South by Southwest on March 8th, 2019, and subsequently hit theaters across the United States on stage. Man, I'm having a rough time today. Across the United <laughs> States on March 22nd, 2019, um, courtesy of Universal Pictures. Worldwide, it grossed a total of $255 million against a production budget of $20 million. It was mostly enjoyed as far as reviews, what people thought of the movie, etc., uh, with a 6.8 out of 10 rating on IMDb, a 3.6 out of 10 on Letterboxd. And I have a confession to make here. Uh, go back in time, almost every one of my episodes. I really like reading the reviews on RogerEbert.com. He's your bestie. My dumbass thought that that rating, for some reason, all rating systems are out of five. Mm-mm. There's just out of four. And so this whole time I'm like, I can't wait until I can find a five-star review. Oh, um, I guess it used to be four. Yeah. So I fucked up. I've been saying out of five. So you know what? Those movies no. that I was like, only a three point, a three and a half star rate. That was a really good rating, good actually. Movie, yeah. My bad. My fully. My bad. Anyways, this one, this one obviously <laughs> wasn't rated by uh Eber because he is no longer with us, but uh, was rated on his website by Monica Costello, and they gave it four stars, so a full four stars. Perfect. Very positive review. Because so I was like, four, like, it's not even four and a half. It's this whole rabbit hole of me like, just being so fuck? stupid. Just so dumb. She's like, why are you guys so fucking snooty? Yeah, I was like, there's not a single five. <laughs> <laughs> Context clues, damn it. <laughs> like, I love it. We're a year into this. <laughs> it's the first we'll time. Play. It's fine. There's things to learn every day. Um, there was one review written by Manola Darkis, and they wrote In Us, Peel uses the metaphor of divided self to explore what lies beneath contemporary America, its double consciousness, its identity, sins, and terrors. The results are messy, brilliant, sobering, and even bleak. The final scene is a gut punch delivered with a queasy smile. But Jordan Peel isn't just here to play. So, Review obviously goes on, but uh, was more or less a fully positive review. There are some folks who didn't enjoy it as much. Seems to be majorly like major horror buffs who felt that uh, Jordan pulled punches when it comes to delivering horror in favor of narrative. Um, this was his what? like sophomore. It was his second kind of, he had mm. delivered Get Out first and then we came back with us. And so a lot of people were kind of like, I w I'm a little confused to be honest because I don't think like Get Out was scary. Like I think Get Out is very like, it's, it's a horror movie. It's scary, but it's more a psychological horror movie, more of a like a new horror movie. Like it's more like you think about it kind of horror movie. And so when us came out, I didn't think that it was like misrepresented or that horror punches well, the were movie's pulled. scary as shit. Yeah. And so, like, that seems to be everybody. Not everybody. It seems to be a lot of folks who disliked it. Cite the idea that 
horror punches were pulled in favor of narrative, which maybe it's just oh. because I prefer actually having a narrative. Yeah, but. I guess. Um, I guess we're in the same camp because I don't know <laughs> if it got cut. My little rant I went on that one time about people <laughs> who think that gore equals good movie, mm-hmm. but it's no, it doesn't. Narrative should always come before like a gross out or like mm-hmm. whatever you thought was necessary in that movie. Like you want somebody to, you want to see somebody like kill the rabbit and eat it what do you want mm-hmm. yeah like i so don't it's, it's it's just not this type of horror there's obviously movies movies out there that look at that gore and we've talked about that before about like if you want just full gore in a movie go find it it doesn't have to be in every horror movie horror is a very like diverse genre so yeah but again each you know each their own us peel and the actors involved were nominated and won many awards for the work so you know, peers and folks agreed that it was a very good movie. I enjoyed it. We have more on like my review and stuff later, but I, I really, the, the only Jordan Peele one that I was like, huh, would I rewatch that? I don't know. Was Nope. I love Nope. Um, but I don't dislike it. It's not like it was horrible. And I don't think yeah. that there was anything wrong with the narrative or the delivery. I just think that it's level of story isn't the rewatchable type for me because I got it. You know what I mean? Like, I watched it. It was very cool. There was a very cool reveal. Love it. Here for it. But I don't know about rewatchability. So. Hmm. Yeah. Us hits different when you know the end of it and you rewatch it. Mm-hmm. Like the way that Adelaide like acts and stuff at the beginning. You're like, oh, that makes Okay. I got mm-hmm. it. That makes yeah. more sense. Yeah. There's more. As you know more, there's more layers. And there's um, about to jump into fun facts. But one of the fun facts is that like. Just about everything in the movie has an additional meaning because the theme of the movie is duplicity. It is the doppelgangers. It is the duplicity of like belief and like what you think that you should do versus what you're able to do and vice versa. And uh, so just about everything has a double meaning. Um, you can see like like the thriller shirt and like um, at one point, the daughter is wearing like a white rabbit on her shirt. The eleven eleven is used a lot in the movie. Like it's just there's little Easter eggs all over. For, again, for me, making the the rewatchability really high. So, um, other fun facts: uh, Jordan Peele asked Youngo to watch a number of horror films in preparation for this movie. They were The Shining, The Babadook, It Follows, A Tale of Two Sisters, The Birds. Dead Again, Funny Games, Martyrs, Let the Right One In, 2008, The Sixth Sense, and The Fly. Just to to get her into, like, the right mindset of the style of horror that he was going for. Like the old fly or, like, the Cronenberg fly? Like the Jeff Goldblum fly? Yeah, it says the the fly. And then the interview that I watched, he was talking about how he watched it when he was too young. So I think it's, like, it's the OG fly. Well, the OG fly is, like, black and white. Like, in the, like, old fucking movie. And then there's, like, the fucking super gross one. with Maybe Jeff it's the Gold fucking Blumen super it. gross one, then. I, it was, I mean, like, really fucking crazy movie. <laughs> must be that. Because he was, like, I was far too young to watch that yeah. shit. So that's gotta be it. Um, but, yeah, to watch all of those in preparation for delivering the movie. So I, I like that. I like that they they shared what that was like and, like, how that actor could get into that mindset of the delivery of her, of her characters in the movie. Um, she also reportedly 
stayed in character as Red on days when they were filming Red scenes, mm. that voice and all. No, I'm not down with method acting. <laughs> Which I think, I think to her credit was because of having to keep that voice. Um, so uh, there's a quote here. The voice for Red was inspired by a condition known as spasmodic dysphonia. And it's a condition that comes from trauma. So this is an interview with people. She goes on to say, it's sometimes emotional, sometimes physical, sometimes inexplicable, where your vocal cords involuntarily spasm and create this irregular flow of air. I built off that and experienced someone with a condition. And I did more research and met up with people with a condition to talk about their personal experiences with it. Um, she went on to say that she also made sure to work with vocal professionals so that she could deliver that style of voice and talking in a way that wasn't going to actually damage her own for the future. Okay. So she did um, a lot of work and there was a lot of interviews with her talking about how collaborative it was to work with Jordan Peele, how she like came to him with, Hey, I think this is the right voice and this is the stuff that I'm going to do for it. What do you think? And he was like, hell yeah, go with it. Like, let's support it. Let's do this creepy voice. So that was pretty cool that you're actually going to talk to people in their experience before you jump into a character and use that kind of thing in your character. So Fun fact. Uh, another fun fact for us is that Jordan Peele is actually the voice of the Funhouse narrator in the movie. He does do a cameo, kind of vocal cameo. And The Lost Boys has several key scenes uh, placed on the Santa Cruz Beach boardwalk. Uh, this is also referenced in the movie as well when Addie's mother says, you know, there's a movie shooting over there by the carousel talking to her dad. Lost Boys was filmed between June 2nd and June 23rd in 1986. So in this universe, it kind of puts them on the boardwalk as that movie is filming. So. Oh. And then my last fun fact before jumping into our synopsis is that the twins, Kelly Sheldon and Noelle Sheldon's first role was actually uh, taking turns playing baby Emma on the final series, series of Friends in 1994. So. Oh, the gymnastic twins? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool, cool. Just fun facts. There you go. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, but overall, like, a lot went into this movie. Like, they, there's a lot more fun facts that I, I just didn't want to pile so many in. But, like, almost everything that you're going to see in this movie has a double meaning, except for this will be the last, true last one that I leave. I was doing research, and I was trying to figure out why Gabe, the dad in the, in the movie, is so obsessed with a boat because I couldn't, like, everything else has a double meaning. And there's just no reason. He's uh, just keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah, Jordan Peele just wanted him to have something that he was really excited about, really just kind of play into his character of, like... Because he's a dork. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, it just, I don't know, it made that scene with the boat a little bit, like, cute to me that he's just, like, stoked to have a boat, so... All right, you ready for our synopsis? Yup. Um, I attempted to make this a little bit more concise than typical. So um, let me know. Let me know if you like it a little bit more concise. We do actually, we've got like a kind of like poll situation that's posted up on Spotify with all of our episodes now. So if you're listening and you're like, yeah, abbreviated synopsis, that's where it's at. Let me know. Just let me know. Or we'll go back to the long ones. That's fine, too. But, hey. All right. So, movie opens with a, like, text block talking about tunnels underground. Sets a creepy mood. We cut to a commercial on a 
like 80s TV surrounded by VHS tapes. Um, the commercial is for Hands Across America. We then get a super long cut with very interesting music on a bunch of rabbits. Like this is a super fucking long cut. Like I didn't record the time, but it feels like forever. <laughs> and they just pan backwards on these rabbits. And then we get another screen cut that says Santa Cruz, California, 1986. So we get a lot of tonality set up in the beginning, drops of little hints and everything. A young girl, uh, Addie or Adel- Adelaide, is that how you say it, right? Adel- Adelaide? Adelaide, yeah. Or Addie, is on a trip with her parents to a boardwalk. Uh, her parents seem to have a terse relationship. I don't think they're together. No, I but I mean, they're both her they're parents. Bo- yeah, but yeah, I, like I don't think they're together. I think they just both took her out for her birthday. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Like so yeah, they're just... Uh, not pleased to be near each other, I guess would be the nice way to say it. Um, her dad wins her a Michael Jackson thriller t-shirt at a carnival game and then goes to play whack-a-mole. Mom says, hey, watch your daughter while I go to the bathroom. Uh, he says, yeah, 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 I'm watching her with his back to her. And she just immediately, three seconds later, walks the fuck away. <laughs> like, would never have done that as a child. <laughs> just leaves. Uh- um, she passes a man with a sign that says Jeremiah eleven eleven, and this comes into play a couple times in the movie. And so I do have what that actual verse is for us. So it's Jeremiah eleven eleven. It says, uh, therefore, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And although they cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. Okay. So, all right, I'm going to fuck your shit up and I'm going to do nothing to help you. Yeah. That's All what right. that guy at the boardwalk is holding. I don't know why. Seems like maybe pick a better one, but whatever. They're they're going to be terrorized and they're going to have no help. Yes, yeah, true. It's true. So she wanders off and onto the beach and then wanders to a nearby fun house of mirrors. I've been in a fun house before. It wasn't like this. Have you been in a terror fun house before? Did these actually exist or was this a movie ter- like movie? Fun I've house. been in like scary fun houses before, but they're carnival fun houses. So it wasn't like I was already like jaded by the time I was like eight. So like I've I've definitely bounced my head off a number of mirrors in like a mirror house before, but like No, I always had my hands out. I was not doing that. I was not running head first into anything. I just uh head first is the way I operate it. So I'm like I told my sister the other day, I'm like that elephant from Tarzan, the cart the like the animated movie. Are, Are you sure this is sanitary? Yeah, I'm questionable to me. Yeah, I'm that I'm that guy. Like mm, <laughs> you think this is safe? I think I'm gonna be cautious. Anyway, I was just like, that's an actual scary fun house. I thought they were supposed to be fun, not terrifying. But she wanders onto the beach and wanders into this fun house. And inside, she, like, steps inside and the power kind of goes out. Like, just backup power is on. Get creepy vibes. The mirrors are scary. She's trying to get out and just having a hard time finding her way out. And eventually comes face-to-face with a doppelganger that looks exactly like her in one of what she thinks is a mirror. And at first, uh, her doppelganger is, like, standing with her back to the mirror frame. So it's like she's walking up on herself, uh, turns around, sees her own face. She's very, very scared. Uh, eyes go wide there's like a silent scream situation and then we like cut and we cut to a therapist's office with a therapist telling um her parents basically like 
we may never know what happened, but obviously she's traumatized. She needs to be able to tell her story, find a way to get her to express what happened or get her to express emotions because she's clearly just fully locked down at this point. And we don't see really what happens after she screams in the fun house. So they offer, you know, she's like, whether that's reading or writing or dance, and then dad gets up and walks out. And that's kind of the end of that scene. We fast forward to present day and adult Addie is going to a beach trip with her husband game and their two kids, 12 year old Zora and 10 year old Jason. Um, we get to Addie's mom's house during the family lunch at the beach house. We come to some realizations uh, first that the clear purpose or like the intended purpose of the trip is to assist the kids in dealing with the loss of their grandmother. That's why they're at their house, but grandma's not at the house. And secondly, we start to get the evidence that Addie really doesn't want to be there, is no. really creeped by creeped out by the house, doesn't want to be back to where her mom, like her mom's place. She's they want to go to the beach, family wants to go to the beach, and Addie's like, I'm not going to the beach. Absolutely not. We're not doing that. There's a beach outside, I'm not doing it. And her husband, Gabe, just is like, It's not a beach, it's a bay. We really need to go. I really think that it would help Jason feel better about the death of his grandma. Like, just drops a bunch of guilt all over her as she's just trying to read on the couch. So she agrees, reluctantly, to go to the beach with the family. Um, But she's like, we're going to come back before dark. Like, it's going to be a quick day trip kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and they already, like, Gabe's friends with, I forgot his name, Jake. What's his name? Tim Heidecker. He's friends yeah. with Tim Heidecker. Kitty and at, I forget the the husband's it's name. It's like Josh or Jake or something. Josh. He had already made pl- plans with his buddy Josh and his family to meet them at the beach before asking Addie if mm-hmm. she wanted to go or whatever. So it's like, and he's like in competition with ja- Josh a little bit or whatever. Yeah. So like, you know, he wants to go and do whatever. Like show off his family and spend time and kind of do the pop out yeah. your chest kind of thing. And, you know, we yeah. have a beach house too. No. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So he guilt trips her and she agrees they're going to go, but they have to be back before dark. And she's just starting to do like chores around the house and like ends up in the basement and kind of has this flashback of looking at herself as a kid. And her kid self is like looking at the mirror as she's practicing ballet because there's like a, a bar and stuff to practice in the basement. The kids, Jason and Zora, are like just being siblings, <laughs> like they're just picking on each other a bit. Um, he pops out of a cupboard and scares her in the bathroom, and then he goes to a different closet to hide and just kind of play hide and seek by himself and play with, like, this magic toy that he has. And she kicks, like, this safety toy out of the door and locks him in the closet. So uh, Addie is brought back out of her flashback by him screaming in the closet to be let out. And then after they let him out of the closet, they just hear a bunch of honking. And this is the scene where Gabe has purchased a boat that he is very proud of. He's very excited. And it's it's like a little fisher boat. It's I mean, it's a boat. It's big-ish. Um, but the comment is made, I wonder if we're all going to fit on it. And he starts talking about like, it's so good. I'm so excited. It's so cool. It pulls to the left a little bit. And the engine sometimes stops. And you have to smack it while holding this. But he's just geeked. He's just, yeah. he's just a dork on a boat. So it's a cute He's scene. like a typical, like, suburban dad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except he's, like, 6'5". Yeah. <laughs> so what I, he was, he's what I would imagine, like, Russo would be like as a dad. Yeah. I could see that. Get that man a boat. <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, guys, let's go do family stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Um, so then they 
they're going to go to the beach. And I like in my head, I feel like this is the next day, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's just later in the day. Maybe they just at some point, at some point they're going, they're not actually going to the beach. Uh, But on the way to the beach, they witness a man being taken into an ambulance. um, And it looks just like the same man that was holding the Jeremiah 1111 placard when Addie was a kid. And she's starting to get a little squirrely. She's seeing a lot of like. She's getting flashbacks of when she's a kid. She's back in her mom's place. She's driving to the same pier where she had her traumatic experience. Like, it's it's building. Like, a lot of these coincidences are building for her. We also, during the scene when they're going to the beach, have a, to me, perfectly laid out family dynamic conversation where instead of telling Zora to kiss his ass, Jason says, kiss my anus. And That's everybody what little in the kids car, do. <laughs> everybody in the car agrees it would have just been better had he cussed um and gabe delivers one of my favorite lines because the other part of like jordan peele's movie is to me is that he hits humor without it stopping the flow of the movie he hits just like humorous things that happen every day um but the dad delivers the line which is just uh, we don't always have to be talking and then just turns (laughs) on the music (laughs) i really really enjoyed that um, and just the humor that's kind of, you can see it played, you know, with the family. That was good. Uh, they eventually make their way to the beach. They join the, uh, Wilson family joins the Tylers, which is Kitty, uh, the wife, Josh, husband, and their twin teenage daughters, Gwen and Maggie. As the kids enjoy the beach, although the, the twins just kind of seem mean and weird. And they were somewhat based on the twins from The Shining. And they're, like, older. They're, like, probably, like, 16. Yeah. You know, and they're they're just, like, your brother's a freak. And Zora's, like, okay. (laughs) She's, like, he's, like, 10. So, like, kind of some slack or something. She said he just has a hard time concentrating is what she mm -mm. says. Because he's just, he's just a kid. He's a 10-year-old. He's just bobbing around as a 10-year-old. But the whole family kind of sucks. Yeah, they're they're very, uh, like, I, I literally have a line here that Kitty is kind of pushy, but I don't really, it's not really pushy. It's, like, judge. It's just, like. They're like a wasp family. They're just kind of waspy. Josh makes a bunch of money, but he's a doofus, and Kitty kind of hates him, but they're, like, high. They're just, like, they're, like, better. Like, Addie and Gabe's family, like, they aren't, like, not well off, but, like, Mm -hmm. the other family's, like, well, well off. Mm -hmm. And they're just kind of, like, they're just, like, rich people. They're just, like, a little entitled. Yeah, no offense to rich people, I guess, but they're just (laughs) rich people. They're just rich white people. Yeah. Um, but we also, while the kids are enjoying the beach, we get some conversation between Kitty and Addie. Kitty, like, makes a comment about, like, do you ever wish that you still danced? And, like, kind of bringing up, do you regret not doing that thing anymore? And, like, this kind of semi-salacious way after they talk about, like, Kitty got some work done, but Addie would never need it. And fuck you. Da-da-da-da-da. Because like Addie not, would never need it because she's gorgeous. She, yeah, it's, it's just not like a... F- friend it's very nicey meanie like the whole thing is very passive aggressive yeah kitty's a bitch yeah (laughs) meanwhile jason ventures off on his own stumbles across a man um who seems to be blood drenched with his arms outstretched uh addy very quickly notices that jason has disappeared becomes frantic eventually locating him and deciding that it's time for the family to go back to the house now yes um, later in the evening, once the family has settled in, Addie confides in Gabe about her childhood trauma and expresses her concerns that recent events indicate that the girl that she saw, her doppelganger, 
is is coming after her and they need to leave right away. They've been together for at least 12 years. Yeah, minimally. Like 13 years. And he she's never told him that. Yeah. He's like, what, babe? Yeah. And she's, she's like looking Freaking at out. her own reflection in the window, but also looking out into the darkness of outside the house. And it's just like, I went to this mirror house. It was really traumatic. I, I know I saw her. And Gabe, like, like he... I mean, he, he doesn't does like what dismiss her, but he's like, he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Because yeah, I would like, have that reaction. I'd be like, yeah. what do you mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it's not like I appreciated this conversation because not every partner needs to either be a complete dick or a trained therapist, right? Like in the people that you encounter in your day to day, most of them are not going to be trained therapists. And even if they are, maybe they're not good trained therapists. So like we get in movies when like somebody's fully dismissive, like, OK, that does happen. But then also when you get movies, they're like, I believe you right away. It's going to be a da-da-da. Like, that doesn't feel That would be either. my reaction. I've been with Russo for nine years, and he was like, by the way, I thought <laughs> saw I... saw a doppelganger when I was a like, child. Like, just something completely out of fucking left field, and you're like, what are you... What? My reaction would be like, are we in danger right now? Yeah. What is going on? I think yeah. Gabe had a good, like, a normal reaction. Like, oh, okay, babe. Yeah, uh, yeah, this is a lot. I'm oversaturated. And he can like see that she's like freaking out, and he's like, "Okay, we okay, we can yeah. like." Because at one point he's like still trying to like be cute with her, and mm-hmm. she like gives him a look, and he's like, "Oh, she's okay." He's she's like, serious. "Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah." yeah. Um, because he's like, "So you saw yourself in the mirror?" And she's like, "No, motherfucker! Like this is this is really what happened." And he's he's also like. He's not like, I fully believe you, absolutely. But he's very much like trying to comfort her. Like, hey, it's going to be okay. We're f- He knows her well enough fine. to know that she's like d- super distressed. Yeah. You know? And so he's he's trying to reassure her that we're like not packing up the house and leaving literally right now. Um, when the power goes out. And, <laughs> and she lets out this little like, oh. Yeah. Like she's like super. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That was, it was really like, it wasn't a full scream, but it was very much like a, like a panic. Yes. Um, so Gabe is like, you know, if we had a backup generator, like the other family does, this wouldn't be a problem. And he jumps into that. Um, and he goes to get up and kind of investigate it is nighttime. Both kids are in bed and they go to turn towards the door. And Jason's actually just like little kid creepy standing in the doorway, makes him everybody jump. Um, it's like, like an honest jump scare. Um, like that alien meme where just little aliens sitting in the kitchen. It's like, I mom, my food up. Yeah. Have you seen that meme? <laughs> that yeah, I'm on the internet a lot, guys. So they, Jason says, uh, you know that uh, there's a family um, in our driveway. Yeah, Gabe goes, "Hey, man, like it's just the power went out. Go back to bed." And Jason's like, "Yeah, that's cool, but there's a family in our driveway," <laughs> and it's very reminiscent to me of like signs almost. Hey, there's a monster outside my window. Can I have a glass of water? That's just like fucking what, Addie? No. Fucking second thought calls nine one one. I am calling the police. I I have a bad feeling. I know what this is. I'm calling the police. I'm here for it. And Gabe's real confused still, but he's like, okay, I'll check it out. But he's so confused. He's like, yeah, why are yeah, you yeah. calling he's, the cops? Yeah, What's going just, on? It's like it's probably just the neighbors. Why are you calling the cops? Like this is, fu- but okay. Yeah. I'm gonna go talk to him. So he goes outside and tries to intimidate the intruder or like tries to be nice at first. And it's like, hey, everything okay? What do you guys need? Like power just went out. Are you good? And they don't say anything. And he goes back inside and gets a bat. And in the second scene where he goes to try and intimidate them, he drops his voice and he's like puffing out his chest and putting the bat in his hand and is trying to intimidate them. 
Um, but then we see the family and uh, Reg is like, I think it's like two tiny claps. And the the daughter, Doppel, just Umbre. runs into the woods. The son drops to all fours and like gallop crawls. And the dad just starts like walking towards the house. And with Red, right? I think Red's behind him. But that whole like just split second where the kid drops to his knees and crawls into fucking miss me with that. No, bye. no fucking thank you. No. Um, so as I, you know, we're eventually we're gonna see the Doppel family, like there's like a violent home invasion basically with the Doppel family, where one of them eventually hits Gabe with the baseball bat. Um, while the others corner everybody else in the living room, they break into the house. They're really creepy. They're just showing up and um, the family is basically trapped in the living room, doesn't really have a way out. Um, so once they're in the living room, uh, they actually get a look, full look at the intruders and all of them are doppelgangers of themselves. They're all wearing matching red jumpsuits, all wielding ominous scissors. Addie's doppelganger spins a, like tells us a really cryptid tale about a princess and her shadow and it kind of gives us the lore behind the doppelgangers basically explaining that the doppels are shadows or clones of people through like a government experiment and they couldn't quite figure out how to clone souls so they gave up on the experiment and just left the shadows and like the underground because they were trying to control the people up top with the shadows but so they're like connected but like in a like a bad way yeah like a one-way connection but like, for them yeah part. but like the people on the surface were mostly controlling what the people under on under yeah. the ground were instead of the other way other that the way government around. wanted yeah the government gave up and so the shadow people were compelled to do whatever their topside world folks were doing with the doppels of the topside world folks so they have no control over the person that they're partnered with they have no control over when or how they have kids um what they ate whereas um like in the story she's like you got to eat food warm and tasty i had to eat live rabbits cold like she talks about having to get like give herself a c-section the shadow uh yeah, Addie Red basically because like yeah so it's obviously fucked up the other three aside from red kind of they don't speak they kind of they've got just like guttural noises is what they do and this is when we get red's like chopped up voice that's really fucking creepy and she acts the fuck out of this like she mm-hmm. just she does so good anyways um to the family's horror Addie is compelled to handcuff herself or tether herself to the table like, during the situation, uh, they tell Zora that she should run because she describes her oldest daughter as a monster. Is it, it's um, Umbri? Um, Umbri. Yeah, because, yeah, like, Umbra is, like, dark, mm. like, Umber, all that. Mm-hmm. So that's, like, a play on that with that name. Gotcha. Yeah, so it's she's told, like, run because she's going to chase you, basically. Yeah, because Zora's, like, a track star. Yeah, they're talking, like, earlier in the movie about she's, like, you can do anything you set your mind to. And she's like, well, I want to drive. And they're like, well, we're thinking about you joining the Olympics. And she's like, well, I want to drive. Like, yeah. uh, So she's a very good track star. She takes off running. er, But Ombre's better. Yeah. Way faster. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So she takes off running. Uh, Jason is enlisted to play with his lookalike hide-and-seek around the house. Go show him your hiding spots and your magic tricks. Uh, Gabe, who has been, like, hitting the knee with a baseball bat, is forcibly dragged away towards the boat. 
and yeah, and the names of the doppels are uh, Addie's is Red, Gabe's is Abraham, Jason's is Pluto, and Zora's is Umbre. So there's the names. Um, having fled a considerable distance, so we kind of in this part get like cuts of different of what the family's doing. Uh, Zora believes that she successfully evaded the doppel, except she hasn't. And to her horror, she shows up and like jumps on top of a car. A neighbor comes out, like, what are you doing on my car? Get down, approaches them. And uh, Umbre just like stabs the fuck out of him and kills him. Uh, my note here is just never stop fucking running. I don't care. If you're still able to go, still go. Don't, yeah. Yeah, just don't keep stop. running, girl. It's the same rule as double tap. Don't stop. That's what you got. Mm-hmm. Uh, back at the house, Abraham hauls an unconscious Gabe to the family boat and proceeds to put him inside of a bag. Uh, Gabe does regain consciousness and gets out of the bag, successfully tosses Abraham overboard, kind of thinks in part to the fact that the boat's motor doesn't actually work all of the time because it keeps starting and stopping and gives him the opportunity to push Gabe overboard. At one point, they're both in the water or push Abraham overboard. At one point, they're both in the water. Then Gabe gets back on the boat and turns on the propeller just in time to choppy chop Abraham all up. So Abraham's dead. Yeah. Via boat. Um, back at the house, Jason guides Pluto into a closet and does observe that the doppel has to mirror everything that he does almost like perfectly in sync. Jason wears like this Wookiee mask, uh, just cause he's a 10 year old kid, whatever. And he removes his mask and Pluto is also wearing a mask, but it's like a cloth mask. He removes his mask and sees that Pluto is like, he's got like a really bad burn scar all over the bottom yeah, of his face. Yeah, he's like a little pyromaniac. He's got like yeah. a lighter and shit. Yeah, in her in her Princess in Shadow story, Red says that he was born to love fire, which is terrifying. Me too. <laughs> I used to get, in, I used to do some dumb shit with fire when I was <laughs> I remember getting in trouble for fucking around with some candles quite a bit. I would light shit on fire in the sink because I figured it was safe. <laughs> When my mom I mean, wasn't home, and then she was like, are you fucking serious? And I'd be like, I'm sorry. I didn't burn anything down. Yeah, I was in the sink. I was smart about it. Sure. Uh, so Pluto's Pluto's burns, because he didn't burn shit in the sink. Um, no. Jason showcases his magic trick. He's had, like, this little fire starter lighter thing that just hasn't worked the entire movie. And this time it does work. It sparks fire. And Pluto insists on seeing an encore. Um, at this moment, we kind of see a call back to when Zora trapped uh, Jason in the closet because Jason gets out of the closet and kicks the safety thing open, or closed, trapping Pluto. Meanwhile, Red holds Addie hostage in the living room and begins trying to like slowly crack her face against the glass table. Uh, but the commotion caused by Jason's escape leads her away. In a panic, uh, Addie manages to get a fireplace poker, destroys the leg of a table, and gets out to go get Jason. But she's still, like... How heavy was that coffee table? I would have flipped uh, my coffee yeah. table. I would have, like, just flipped it. <laughs> I, mean, I don't... It, was, it looked like it was glass and, like, maybe solid wood. But, yeah, yeah, like... Yeah, anyway. quick proof. Yeah. So she destroys the leg of the table, gets out, gets to Jason. They're both reunited with Zora, who ran back to the house, and Gabe, who limps to the to house after um, trapping Abraham up. And they escape onto a boat while Red and Pluto are watching them from the dock. Which, they're very scary. I don't, like, folks are like this. They pulled punches on the horror. Mm-mm. No, they did not. Well, they're, how? Where? Yeah. Where? Where? <laughs> 
Uh, we cut over to the Tyler's house, Gideon and Josh, uh, where Josh, Josh is sleeping in a chair with a drink in his hand when the lights dim and come back on. Obviously, their generator was working. Um, <laughs> Kitty yells from, like, it's like a full glass on one side over the lake or over, like, the bay, like, super pretty beach house. Um, Kitty yells down to josh from like an upper level that she thinks she heard somebody outside and wants him to check he's a dick about it eventually pretending to look but then pranks her by saying he sees i forget what he pretends he sees outside but like he just just goes oh there's something out there and she's like where and he's like over there and she's like i can't see it and he's like yeah he's just a dick being a dick yeah um the twins come out of the room and like talk to them and say, oh, we didn't order anything, da 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 And the second they think that everything is all right, uh, all of the doppels for this family show up wearing red jumpsuits and kill the entire family brutally. Um, just stab the shit Immediately. out of Immediately. Fucking yeah. very efficient. Way more efficient than the other family. Yes. Very efficient. There's a scene here where Kitty is still alive and asks Ophelia, which is what they named their, like, instead of a seer... Oops, Instead of the thing that will make anybody who's listening on a speaker and their little robot will talk, this one's name is Ophelia. Um, that was so nice of you. I was, it was, <laughs> I, yeah, anyways, it's Ophelia. Um, and tells it to call the police, but instead the speaker starts playing the song, Fuck the Police. Yeah. Is the name of the song or is not the name yeah. of the song? It's Fuck the Police by NWA. Okay. For some reason, I thought it had a different name. I understand the the main... I'm I'm almost positive it's Fuck the Police, though. But that's what... I mean, that's what everybody, I think, would know that song by, so... I could be fully wrong. No, it's Fuck the Police. Fuck the... Fuck the Police. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Anyways. So there's... Like, there's a little hint of humor in there, too, that it's like she's trying to call the police and it's that she's relying on this supposed-to-be-sophisticated robot. Also, I'm pretty sure Ophelia means, like, help... Like, the, the word Ophelia means to help. Oh. Quote me on that, but yell at me if I'm wrong. So there's another twist in there. But anyways, they're all dead. They're super dead. And the Wilfin- Wilfins? Wow. Wilsons oh arrive at the Tyler's <laughs> place looking for help at the same time that they're all being, like, stabbed. And, like, Josh shows up to the door, and he's trying to be, like that good old neighbor like he's being like you know those like mpc videos now on tiktok where people are pretending uh-huh. to be it's like that almost it's like a precursor to that almost he's put he's, like josh's house coat on and yeah. he's trying to like and he like makes little weird jokes like all the time but can, but he can't talk so it's just whatever but yeah he's like hey he's what's up yeah like that was yeah. another one that he does is like he goes to reach his hand down to Kitty as she's dying, the doppel does. And when she reaches up, he, like, does that trick where you, like, take your hand away and Ooh, brush it through out. your hair. Yeah. Like, he's, so funny. he's fucking weird. And so he answers the door and they realize pretty quickly that, like, he's not Josh. He's covered, he's covered in, covered in blood. blood. And he does, like, these creepy semi-contortion moves on the front steps of the house that, like, Ooh, ooh. like he, good like, for you tim heidecker like he's just he's walking that. and then he just like drops into like a crouch and like wiggles. and he sounds like a clicker yeah like a, from uh last of us like when yeah. they scream like that's what his stuff like his noises and it's yeah. like oh god yeah, yeah, yeah. so mm, it's creepy but doppel kitty ends up grabbing Addie from the front porch and they pull her into the house gabe ends up we're gonna we're doing 
brief synopsis. So Gabe does end up killing Josh on the boat after a weird, inter- like a weird interaction with a flare gun that doesn't work correctly. Again, mm. that little bit of humor. Kids are down to kill for the family. They are Zora's ready. like, fuck that. Zora's been yeah. wanting to beat those twin girls' ass her whole life. <laughs> so kids are down for murder. They um, go into the house and they chuck the first twin over the side, like, of that extra level down onto a glass table. And then they go to try and find Addie. Um, cut to a bedroom where Doppel Kitty is trying to like trying on lipstick in the mirror for the first time as Addie is fully handcuffed to the bed. A fight breaks out when Doppel Kitty attempts to murder Zora and Addie can't do anything about it. But Jason steps in clutch and smacks her over the back of the head with a statue and crashes her head. The Wilsons then just watch TV in the house with all the dead people. <laughs> just what are you going to do? Trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and so we see news reports of red clad dupes that are mysteriously emerging uh, nationwide causing harm and fatalities these doubles have apparently united in a bizarre display reminiscent of hands across america while gabe decides he wants to stay in the house and fortify it Addie insists on going across the border to mexico and escaping hint hint Opting to use the Tyler's car, the confrontation occurs when Addie is searching for the keys and attacked by one of the Doppel twins that wasn't actually dead. Um, the twin is killed, and Jason watches his mom kill her with scissors, and it's one of our first indications of, like, oh, mom's mom's got some shit going on, too. She like goes a little feral when she does it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then Umbre appears as the family reaches the car, um... She jumps in the car. They keep, like, driving really fast and hitting the brakes, trying to throw her off. Eventually, she's successful. And It's important she's, like, that Zora's driving because, like, each mm-hmm. family member has to, like, take care of their own doppelganger. Yeah, each one are, like, killing their own dapple yeah. dude. So she accelerates and eventually, like, throws her doppel into a tree. And, like, she's bent all backwards. And Eddie goes to make sure that she's dead. And there's like this moment where you think that she's going to be emotional because it's a doppelganger of her daughter dying in a tree. And she kind of just like watches like, no, she's like, she's like, she's soothing like her and stuff. Yeah. She's like, like, she's still like trying to like, she's still mothering her a little bit, but like Umbra is still like, even though she's dying, trying to like get her and shit. <laughs> So she's trying to, she's like, shh, like, it's okay. I didn't read it as motherly, but. Oh, might, I did. I read it as, like, she was trying to comfort her. Oh, I just thought it was just, like, she's watching some, like, sh- die. Like. Oh, I, though, I read it as, like, she was trying to comfort her while You're she was probably dying. Right. Good, she's You're a probably Yeah. Um, so the entire night has gone by at this point. The Wilsons arrive at the boardwalk in the early morning. The road is blocked by their car which has been set on fire. They hear a noise and Pluto crawls out from underneath their stopped car. Addie gets out to talk to him, but Jason soon realizes that it's a trap using the doppel power. Jason gets out of the car and walks backwards, making Jason walk back or making Pluto walk backwards into the fire of the burning car, killing him, which smartest person in his whole family. Cold smart. Yeah. Well, and, Addie's reaction is like, no, like, what are you doing or whatever? Like, cause she, I, she, they're still kids. Like, I don't think she wants to kill them or whatever, but yeah. But Jason was, uh, car- he's like, I know what I got to do. Yeah. It just colds, walking backwards into the fire. Unknowingly, Jason walks backwards right into the arms of Red, more or less. 
Addie runs after them to get Jason back while Zora and Gabe see that the beach is now full of red-clad doppelganger gainers Doppelgangers joining hands. Addie's making her way back to the funhouse and goes all the way down into the underground tunnel. We see rabbits roaming free. She finds Red inside one of the many rooms and Red kind of evildoer monologues her plan that, you know, again, that they were an experiment by the government and they were forgotten. And when she was young, she realized that she was different and it took her years and years to help build a plan, but she did eventually build a plan, get everybody to do it and helped them get their revenge for being left in the cold and the dark and having to eat rabbits and yada, yada. She wanted to get revenge, but it wasn't going to be enough just to kill everybody. She wanted to make sure that everybody saw them as well so that it's not just we're going to go kill everybody and nobody's going to be there to witness it. They want to make sure that they were protesting in a way that got everybody's attention. And that's where this Hands Across America idea came from. And she's got like Hands Across America poster in the basement, in the basement, in the underground that there's like scissors around and all that stuff. Red and Addie fight in a very ballet kind of way, is my note. Um, yeah. Eventually, Addie spears Red with a fire poker and finds and reunites with Jason. They escape the basement and meet up with their family and start driving towards Mexico. And in, a, in an ambulance. In an ambulance, yes. And we get a flashback then with Addie driving back to when she was a kid and she went into the funhouse. And we get the reveal here, the big reveal at the end. So if you haven't watched it, do it. But here's your here's your reveal. So it turns out that Addie was the doppel and Red was the OG Addie who walked into the funhouse. So we see uh, doppel grab actual Addie, like knock her out, drag her into the underground, chain her to a bed, switch shirts with her so that she had the thriller shirt now. And then she went to join the family. So that's part of the reason why she didn't talk when she came back. Because they're like, she's so traumatized, she, she shut down. She didn't really know how to talk. Um, she didn't actually know how to talk. And then it kind of, it makes more and more sense too when you think about how Addie knew to go to Mexico to go to a different country. Because then she'd know, like, she would know that there wouldn't be doppels there. Like, it just, it makes a lot of sense when you rewatch the movie. Like, she's already got this pre-knowledge. Yeah. Uh, we come back to the ambulance and we see Jason kind of sizing up his mom, presumably, like presuming that he might have overheard much of the conversation that happened between Red and Addie in the facility. So he's kind of like piecing some things together. And then Addie, who we now know is actually a doppel, smiles in like this knowing, creepy, kind of smug, I got away with it situation. Yeah. Um, as Jason's face kind of falls and he pulls his mask down over his face and he looks a little afraid. And the I mean, movie ends, she's been his mom the whole fucking time. Yeah, though, I mean, she's you not know what I mean? different, but it's not like, it's not that Addie is the doppel that initiated the fight. It's that Addie is not actually Addie. So, yeah. Uh, movie ends with a pan up over the hills where we see news helicopters filming the carnage. And all of the events while we see, like, a bunch of people in red jumpsuits holding hands over, like, rolling hills. Yeah. And that's the end of the movie. What'd you think? I like all of Jordan Peele's movies. This is my least favorite one. Hmm. I really liked Nope. Russo didn't like Nope either, though. So maybe it's just I did me. not like it. It was just my least rewatchable. 
Um, yeah, that's a good movie. It's better on a rewatch when you know what the fuck is going on. Yeah, the more you watch, I feel like sometimes, like the first time I saw it, I was like just real fucking confused (laughs) (laughs) for a minute. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, it's a good movie. Jordan Peele's a great fucking director, and I'm super glad that he's making movies in my favorite genre. Yeah, same. Yeah, I liked it. I mean, I said I think it gets better with rewatches, which I like. I mean, I, I like that there's new things that you can learn while also being aware of the terrifying parts. Feels comforting in a way. Yeah, I don't think there's anything that... The only, I guess, the only part of the movie that I was like, hmm, was the part where Red just shows up out of the shadows on the back of that car. Because there's a scene it's where a the red whole back car. of the car is lit up. Like, lit up. So she must have crawled out from under it or some jazz. It's like she how was literally she was it. like pressed up against it, and she's got dark skin, and she was the same red as the as the SUV. She was in white. She was just lying in white. She was like a chameleon or some shit. Yeah, I'm just saying. There's a scene where like the the, the sun is lighting up that entire thing, but I think maybe she just crawled out from underneath the car. Yeah, and then was oh, there. I don't think they were that worried about. They were thinking about that car behind them. Yeah, that's true. That's fair. Uh, 10 out of 10 though or 4 out of 4 now that I've learned 4 out of 4 are you ready to hear about our real life inspiration for this movie oh yeah always so there's a lot of stuff we could focus on for this movie violent attacks home invasions kidnappings I went down a rabbit hole no pun intended kind of pun intended Mm -hmm. on clones And, like, the rabbit hole that I went down landed me in a place that I felt like this would be, it's a story for another time. It was a very intense story. Uh, And then doppelgangers, of course, that could be a topic for this movie. Um, And honestly, aside from the clones, I did start looking at doppels as well. But we're not going to talk about doppels today. Because we're Nothing Scarier podcast. We look at the inspiration behind horror media. And we don't always have a true one-for-one option with our movies, right? Like, a general idea is what we have to go with sometimes, which is totally fair, considering it's horror, and I'm kind of glad there's not always a one-for-one, like, when we're thinking about fucking werewolves and shit. Like, Yeah, that'd be, yeah, yeah, if we don't, not everything's based on a true story. We would have, like, ten fucking episodes. Well, th- that, and, like, also we might be dead, because, <laughs> like, there would be... a real werewolf? What? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So all of this to say is that this week we are going to look at the real life fundraising event, Hands Across America. Uh, It is one of the key inspirations um, that Jordan Peele talks about in creating us and possibly the most 80s thing to ever fucking happen. Wow. (laughs) That's saying something. The 80s were a a thing. Listen. So, for folks who might not know, what what was Hands Across America? Hands Across America was a public event which took place on May 25th, 1986, and was the follow-up act to We Are the World, which if you don't know what We Are the World is, um, was a song written by Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie, which saw a multitude of 80 celebrities participating in the music and the video and recording the song. The proceeds of this event went to sending funds to relief, relieve food scarcity and insecurity in Africa. So where We Are the World was a song, Hands Across America was an event. Um, the premise of the event was 
seemingly simple. Have Americans donate money to hold hands and form a human chain from coast to coast. So weird. And this just feels like every meeting that I've ever been in. And I'm not like critiquing like previously in my life. Like every meeting, every like school project where you're working in a group and somebody thinks they have the best idea ever and they don't think about the parts that go into that idea. That's what the logistics. Yeah. They're like, just (laughs) make it happen. And you're like, the fuck? Do you know how big America is? Yeah. So it turns out that was far more difficult than expected. First, for any listeners out there not in the U.S. or even if you're in the U.S., we kind of have a shitty education system. So like, hey, maybe you don't know. Um, The U.S. is fucking huge. It's the third largest country after Russia and Canada. Yeah, Um, British people. The U.S. (laughs) is fucking huge. I think they know that. Nah, there's a fucking TikTok discourse with between the English Is and the there? Americans. They think that New York, you can drive to like Disney World. You can like go to New York and do a day trip to Disney and shit. And no, it's a whole thing. Maybe if you do like a hundred and it's literally like they don't they have no idea how big one a.m. to like there, there was some guy tell there was a whole argument about mountains and that uh, I'm deep into America versus Britain TikTok. <laughs> There's a whole argument about it. Anyway, America's huge. Yes, America's huge. The shortest route from coast to coast in the continental U.S. is 2,089 miles, with the furthest path across the lower 48 being 2,892 miles. That's a long fucking way. That's a long way. Um, There's also the additional hiccup when we're thinking about making a human chain across America is that many parts of the U.S. are not entirely hospitable to a bunch of squishy just, people standing in it. Just like over the Appalachian mountains. <laughs> just, like, uh, again, especially in the mountainous areas or much of the like s- southwest, which is just a fucking like there's like a desert. It's so hot. <laughs> Even so if you hot. just did it like across the middle of America, the logistics, you're just you can't. <laughs> you just can't. <laughs> So, um, then you also add in the fact that this event had been attempted previous to the 1986 Hands Across America, um, but didn't have corporate sponsorship and thus failed. A single chain, a single chain turned out in Illinois. That's all that happened from the first time in the, in the 70s when they Illinois, you tried it, you tried it, Illinois. This time around, Ken Cragen conceptualized and orchestrated the event, and its execution was carried out by USA for America, which is not, or for Africa, which is not like <laughs> the United States for Africa. It is the United Support of Artists for Africa. Oh, okay. But they also very patriotic. Very patriotic. And this time around, there would be an entire year of campaigning, organizing, planning, and promoting. Ken Cragen had also been instrumental in getting celebrity involvement um, in the We Are the World song campaign as he was a talent slash personal manager at the time. And some of the people that he had managed, uh, Trisha Yearwood, uh, Dottie West, Kenny Rogers, and many others over the years. So he was part of the celebrity culture. He was known and he used his influence to get people involved in both We Are the World and then which happened the year before this did. So they were like, we are the world? Great. We are hands across America. It's our next gambit. Let's go. That's not even the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's not close. 
So following the path of We Are the World, the song was created. Except this time, it wasn't written by superstars like Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie, but was instead written by Mark Battle, John Carney, and Larry Goldtieb, oh, uh, who are, are jingle writers from New York. Like Oscar Mayer Wiener jingle like, writers? Yeah, jingle yeah, writers. Okay. And fun fact, they also wrote uh, The Pride is Back, which is a jingle written for the Plymouth car manufacturer in the 80s. And is sung in the commercial for that car by um, superstar. I think it's Kenny Rogers. I only wrote Kenny, so I'm gonna assume it's Kenny Rogers. Got to be Kenny Rogers. <laughs> and it's notable because many folks say that the two songs sound suspiciously similar. And I'm Kenny. gonna encourage you to listen to the Pride Is Back song because it's just. It is it is 80s Americana. It is delusionally patriotic. It is terrifying. We love patriotism. Delusional patriotism. Mm-hmm. Sure do. Oh yeah. Um so some of the lyrics from the Hands Crossed America song definitely not patronizing whatsoever. Um so the lyrics are We are the river of hope that runs through the valley of fear. And there is a lady whose smile shines upon us saying, all is welcome here. Learn to love each other. See that man over there? He's my brother. When he laughs, I laugh. When he cries, I cry. Courtney's dying right now. When he needs me, I'll be right there, right by his side. I'm not going to do more because I think I just uh, made everybody so cringe funny. violently. That's so funny. You see that man over there? That's my brother. <laughs> it's just, it's like. It's just like dude trying to smoke a cigarette. Like, yeah. what the fuck are you talking about? He just got like a really gregarious, really like friendly dude drunk at a bar. He's like, that man over there, he's my brother. I mean, every like, drunk girl. Yes. Every drunk girl in a, ba- in a bar bathroom is your sister. Yes, hundred so, percent. But that's wholesome as fuck and yes. not weird, obnoxiously patriotic. That's just <laughs> one of the only wholesome things that still exists organically drunk, in the world yeah, is drunk, drunk girl girls. bathroom. Yep. But yeah, anyways, like both songs, prime eighties, just prime eighties. And the song was composed just in time to be premiered at Super Bowl twenty on January twenty sixth, nineteen eighty six. Which was interesting considering that this was just a few months before the event was to take place. So they announced that they were going to do it. And then they finally had this jingle song just a few months before it was actually supposed to happen. So it's like, all right, I guess. Um, They're confident. Originally, Michael Jackson was approached to sing it at the halftime show of this Super Bowl. Uh, but he refused, stating that wow. it was clearly an attempt to upstage We Are the World, which had basically just come out and he had co-written. So he was like, why would I compete against myself for a song that I didn't even write? Like, you just, you basically want to use my connection to We Are the World to try and promote the song that I'm not really getting paid for. So, like, no. Okay. You don't you don't care about America? <laughs> That's probably what they were like. But, like, I'm kind of <laughs> at this point. Like, yeah. for that choice (laughs) to be fucking clear yeah to be clear anyway (laughs) so instead hands across america was promoted by bill cosby and lily tomlin at the super bowl there's a clip on youtube of the announcement and the announcers of the super bowl saying 
in America, we love an underdog. Uh, okay. No, we don't. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> Before the pair showed up on screen, um, so the, they showed up on screen and they're surrounded by just rando children. Um, they go on to say that they need everyone's hands to come together and donate. So kids like the kids on stage with them who endure food scarcity don't and don't have a place to sleep can get food and receive aid. I'm just going to keep my leftist fucking viewpoints to myself. But sure. Campaigning continued for the months leading up to the event and was marked by a number of controversies or just general tea and drama. First, the plan route, which started in Battery Park in New York, seemed to piss off literally every other New England state. Um, as they would not be included in the route, which only makes fucking sense if you're just trying to go from but, point A to point B. They're just B. trying to make a line, Maine. Relax. <laughs> Maine, calm down. An official protest was an official, like official protest was created for the angry New Englanders led by Massachusetts Senator Ted Kennedy and Representative Ed- Edward Markey. Other states not included uh, were the northern Midwest. Michigan wasn't on that list. I don't give a fuck. Right? Far, uh, like far south and Pacific Northwest. Of course, Hawaii and anywhere that wasn't on the continental U.S., they were also excluded. Everybody took, just about everybody took issue with being excluded, which feels... How fucking American is that, yes, though? That's literally my what do you mean? I'm not special and I'm not on the fucking thing. We're just trying to make a straight line across America. Fuck. My note literally says, which feels very, very American. Yes. Instead of sending donations, which to be fair, I'm sure many people still did if they couldn't participate, or just offering to join their country folk in another location. Like, Ohio really isn't that far away from most of Michigan. But we hate Ohio. I don't hate Ohio. Don't kill me. That's fine. I'm just saying. Like, we're a con. I I I think at this point, we're like contractually obligated to dislike Ohio. Yeah. I could be kicked out of part of our brand. I just said. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But instead of doing that, they protested being excluded from the charity fundraising event. You gotta be fucking kidding me. So the Chan's route, and I I will post a photo up on our our socials where the route goes, um, was supposed to go through New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Delaware. Maryland, D.C., Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Missouri, Tennessee, Kentucky, Arkansas, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and lastly, California, where the chain would end at Long Beach. It was... They had to go around, like, the mountains, I guess. Yeah, I mean, there's also a giant fucking canyon in the way. Yeah. There's some deserts and shit. So, like... But the odd part about the the meandering bit of it is, like, you'll see it in the, the photo... Like, Illinois was like, we are included. And, like, instead of just going, like, bloop, up to Chicago and down from Indiana, they went, like, up and around and, like, looped it and, like, kind of made, kind of added their own little leg, which they had enough people, so that's fine. Yeah. The controversy about who was excluded wasn't the only hiccup in the plan, however. Leading up to the event, the president at the time, good old Ronnie Reagan. Woo, the devil. (laughs) The devil. That was the most Texan thing I've ever heard you fucking say. (laughs) Ronald Reagan is the devil. Uh, He was receiving backlash for his decision not to attend the event, which seems to me 
to be on character for him to not attend, considering he made the takedown of social programs part of his platform and part of his campaign and everything that he fucking did. Ronald Reagan ruined America. Yes. Yes. He did. That's just a fact. If there's a problem, mm-hmm. he did it. Yep. He started it. His supporters um, were using the term entitlement programs to refer to supplemental income programs for folks who are working and still in poverty. Um, He also, like, used this term to talk about food stamp programs and low-income housing programs, entitlements. Great. Cool. Um, He put a stop to the expansion of building projects centered around creating more low-income housing, which was put into place um, from his predecessor. Preferring instead a voucher program where people can use a voucher to get into an existing structure instead. We all know how well that worked. Thanks. I mean, there was even a task force that he put together in August of 82, which was funded by 3000 or excuse me, $320,000, which in today money would be like over a million, that Reagan started to quote, it shouldn't be a quote, but this is basically what he wanted, to identify where and if there was any issue in our great and wealthy nation with regards to hunger. Dog. That's why you don't elect actors to do anything. (laughs) And surprise, the investigation lasted just four months and concluded that it would be impossible to conclude the state and need of persons in jeopardy of starvation and hunger in the U.S. Um, And I will note that the memorandum that started this investigation Reagan's point with this investigation was less, are they starving? Let's find out how bad and help. And more, well, we've given them food. Aren't they, like, if they aren't getting it, there must be something wrong, like welfare fraud, which was one thing that he loved to fucking tout, which was completely fake. It's not even a thing. It's not. Uh, Anyway. But he thought, you know, it must be something wrong with people, like welfare fraud, because literally he says in this memorandum, we gave them 700 million pounds of dairy products in the last three years. And so it's like, (laughs) what did they do with 700 million pounds of milk? Like, I just, we went bad, man. Like, I don't, what, you just want me to sip milk? Like, I don't. (laughs) I just live off milk. (laughs) Give me one of them cheese wedges. I'll be fine. I'm lactose intolerant. It cannot happen. <laughs> so not yeah. He he talks more in this memorandum about how social programs, which he slashed, are basically more than enough, and how dare anyone have the willingness to starve? And and obviously, I did this it whole to spite you. I yeah. did it just to spite you. Yeah, but. the whole investigation was just to find somebody else to blame it on because clearly he is perfect, and his administration is too. So this investigation spent. $320,000 to find that there was nobody to blame it on, which enraged activists focused on alleviating starvation in America. And at the same time, the report called for an increase of $200 billion to the budget for food assistance and social programs. So basically, his own people pissed off everybody by saying, well, we don't know how or why it happened. Please don't look at the fact that this current president is cutting every social program ever. But we do know the government should spend more money on these programs. Totally not their fault, though. Nobody could have foreseen it. You know, honestly, oh, who's to say? Just spend more money. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Cool. So Reagan's basically anti-everything Hands Across America was wishing to accomplish. So he was under heat for his decision not to go because it further solidified his stance against social programs. But even worse than his choice to not go, 
was his flip-flop at the last minute in deciding to join the event and his lie around the last-minute choice to go. But again, the flip-flopping and the lie seems to also be a very Reagan thing. Something about arms for hostages, if anybody is interested in looking that up. It's great. We're just, um, <laughs> just, just turning into some pinko commie fucking <laughs> podcast right now. Just absolutely wild. So he flip-flopped, right? In an article on May 24th, which is published May 24th, but it talks about a decision made on the 23rd, so just two days before uh, the event was supposed to take place. It starts with President Reagan, in a change of plans, decided today to join Hands Across America on Sunday. The project seeks to help raise money and demonstrate compassion for the nation's hungry and homeless. That's the quote. Hmm. The article goes on to say that this change of heart was in no way related to the public heat behind his lack of intention to participate. He simply had the first chance to discuss it with his family that Thursday night, and they decided they would go. We just didn't have time to talk about it. We've just been busy. For a full year. Even though the White House had previously reported his lack of participation was because of the cost to attend and security issues around him attending, and not a decision that he had made, obviously. Like, it was just going to be too much. I mean, I feel like it is a logistical nightmare. To have it literally president. went through D.C., though. Like, he didn't have to go anywhere. They went by the White House. I like, know, he went on the front fucking lawn. Do you know how lawn. many fucking Secret Service agents you got to get going yeah, on? Yeah, that's true. He could at least, like, waved or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, so he wasn't going to participate. He now is. Um, and it, it certainly, absolutely, definitely, no way had anything to do with the backlash that he received just that week over his comments to 117 college students that he had met with. While speaking with them regarding the food and housing crisis in the country, the president said that the problem of hunger in the United States is caused by a lack of knowledge about where to obtain help and added, I don't believe there is anyone going hungry in America simply by reason of denial or lack of ability to feed them. Okay. Which is exceptionally ironic, and I'm going to quote from the Washington Post article around this time. It says, J. Larry Brown of the Harvard School of Public Health, chairman of the Physicians Task Force on Hunger in America, said that the administration had eliminated a program to inform people about food stamp benefits. And this is a quote from, from Brown. It says, for the president to lead the way in eliminating the federal outreach funding and then turn around and say that people don't know about the program is correct, but a little puzzling. <laughs> Gotta love a politician. So he said this to the group of college students the same week that USA for Africa was putting on an event to fund charity in the United States to reduce the effect of food scarcity and poverty. Great step, Ronnie. So, yeah, it was just a matter of, of having to have a conversation with his family and certainly not an attempt to remove his foot from his mouth or appear not to have his head up his ass. But back to Hands Across America. Reagan was not the only well-known person to attend the event, even if his attendance was possibly the most ironic. Uh, we also saw there was almost, I think it was over 60 celebrities, so just some of them. Brooke Shields, Liza Minnelli, Scott Bayo, Kenny Baker's R2-D2, Fred Rogers, so Mr. Rogers was there, Michael Jackson, David Copperfield. Um, they had, in Ohio, they had Chewbacca show up in a Wookiee costume. Mm. Uh, Kenny Rogers, Bob Seger, many Disney characters like Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse, Donald Duck, yada yada. Uh, Robin Williams, C-3PO, 
couple of my favorites. There were 50 Abraham Lincoln impersonators. Nice. But 54 Elvis impersonators. So Elvis won. Hey. That just turned Elvis out Elvis is more hands. fun to cosplay as, for sure, probably. <laughs> uh, there was even some divers who uh, went underwater to hold hands to make an unbroken chain across a river. So people got involved. Estimates range from about 5 million to 6 million people joining the event. So about 5.5 million is what I'm going to go with. Um, And everybody got together. They held hands for 15 minutes and sang very pro-American songs. Uh, The line from New York to California was not truly unbroken. And in some parts of the country, there was not enough participants to cover the space needed. Where possible, rope, ribbon, or even sometimes cattle were used to cover the gaps. I love it. Pictures of just like cows hanging out. Um, some areas even used hot air balloons, but I wasn't able to find too many articles on it. It was just like they went up in balloons and held rope. So I don't know how they got the people up there. <laughs> like, I don't know. Just thinking about how human. Anyways, um, which is a unique and probably expensive option, but they did it. So no one can say it didn't have a good turnout, but some of the lines in more populated areas like New York were like nine rows deep. And had everybody participated, had everybody that participated stood four feet apart from one another, they would have had absolutely enough people to make a truly never broken line. And considering there was about 200 and 240 million people who lived in the U.S. at that time, it's almost 5% of the population that turned out for the event. So they had a, a hey. pretty good turnout. Yeah. And it's also worth noting, too, at the start of the campaigning for the event, you needed to donate $10 per person to show up and link hands. Others would donate $20 or even $35. $35 was almost $100 when accounting for, like, $35 had $100 worth of buying power today um, when you account for the situation. So if you donated $35, you got, like, a swag bag, a bunch of shirts, and, like, a radio and a bunch of cool stuff. Um, But towards the actual date, the tone shifted. Encouraging everyone and anyone to turn out, regardless of donation, they tried to put into the universe that it wasn't because they would have not enough people showing up. It was odd. It was definitely just because they wanted to include everybody and get awareness out there. Yeah, well, well. Gotta, the stunts got to work, right? <laughs> yeah. When, when the event was done, a general sense of accomplishment was reported to be felt by all involved. But it would be months before the grand total of funds raised would be made public. It would be nearly six months until any of these funds would actually be released to intended recipients. And I'll pause here because I'll give kind of more impressions at the end. Before we continue, it's exceptionally difficult, exceptionally difficult to find like a list of who is paid out when and where. Um, I'm jumping in between like newspapers in different states over months to months to months to months to try and find information. I have no evidence that the funds were not paid out. Like there's nothing that actually says I was never paid and yada, yada, yada. Many sources say that the funds that were meant to be dispersed were. And so I'm going to preface everything that's coming with that. So this isn't me saying a charity didn't pay out. This is me saying, here's some details about, about what happened. So by July of 1986, we get a total of funds raised, well shy of the proposed 50 to 100 million. The total was a little over 35 million, except the cost of putting on the event would eat so much that the remaining funds left to disperse to help those in need would be closer to 15.5, 16 mil. 
meaning more than half of everything raised went to overhead, with at least $3 million to ensuring the event. An article in the LA Times during the summer that followed the event showed that organizers, including Ken, who helped to organize it, uh, were calling out volunteer organizers for failing to strictly collect donations and called out areas of Texas and Arizona specifically for being weak links, which is super humanitarian considering these were volunteer organizers, but all right. Because they were starting to get some heat for the fact that they spent more than half of what they raised when they were projecting to raise 50, 50 to 100 mil. So it was like clearly not well organized. We'll say that. Yeah. At least 150,000 of the funds went to Food Research and Action Center. This took place reportedly around, like it said a couple months ago. So I'm going to say between like June and July, which was interesting because the final tally for the donations really hadn't come out at that time, but they were sending some funds to some people, but like also not really counting everything. Um, There's another news article in the following February. So this is February 87, which stated that almost 600,000 had been paid out in grants that aided domestic homelessness and hungry initiatives. But as part of that posting, there was still like, but as of that posting, there was still nearly 15 mil in the bank that was meant to be dispersed. So this is February, almost a full year after the event. Um, so Ken K states that he intended to disperse all of it over the next three months. But in April of 87, we see a report of 1.2 million finally being dispersed in California. And then there's an article that's in May. It says, last week, Cragen announced plans to distribute Hands Across America funds in eight more states, bringing the total to 35 states now promised the benefit proceeds. By May 25th, Cragen says that he will have distributed 10.32 million of the 15 netted from Hands Total for, you know, the volunteer and for the donations. So it's just a lot of like, yeah, I have it. We counted it. Like we got to pay everybody off, but we'll have like 16 mil to pay people. And then a lot of reports of the application for funding being extremely convoluted and very complicated of it being very difficult to find somebody to submit the information to of it being very difficult for them to know truly how people were being selected to receive these funds. And also this is more than a year, more than a year after. And this is supposed to be donated funds, right? And so this is sitting somewhere, probably making interest, probably contributing to an additional amount of money coming into that pot that isn't earmarked for donations as was put out by the idea of this fundraising charity. Mm. So by November of 1987, we see another article that states almost another $4 million will be paid out by the fundraisers. This is November the following year. The event happened in May. Jesus. But it's interesting to note that in the months following the event, so directly following the event, Ken was hard at work to capitalize on the name recognition. And in January of 87, less than a year after the event, but before much of the funds had been distributed, he was working on a brand recognition campaign with the makers of Skippy Peanut Butter, where the mm. corporation would donate up to 100000 to, like, the fund, um, depending on their products being purchased and the consumer sending in a rebate for them. So if you participated in this way, we would donate some more 
but they literally you sent a rebate in. Yeah. So if I purchased Skippy peanut butter, I filled out this form. I sent in a rebate. They gave me a dollar back and donated a dollar to the Hands Across America Fund, which at that point, like, it's been almost a year since that happened. And he's like, to me, it doesn't sit right. Right. Like, it just doesn't sit right to say, like, hey, now that I have this name recognition after we are the world and Hands Across America, don't you want to pair with us and, like, give us money? But that I'm, I'm not really dispersing very quickly. Like, it just feels ick. Um, it's also interesting to note that Ken himself said, like he's quoted in a paper saying this, that he had to play a little game with the media while signing up folks, that they had to interpret the numbers any which way that they could, believing that if the news reported worried that the event would be a bust, people wouldn't show up. Although this seems very disingenuous to me, Ken is also quoted in this paper as saying, honesty is the best gimmick there is. Hmm. Okay. So some of the funds went to insurance. There was also 63 offices put together for this campaign. And while all the furniture was donated, 63 offices seems to be quite a lot when we're considering this is supposed to be a charity event. Staffers also needed Mm -hmm. to be paid, campaigning costs. Coke was involved as a corporate sponsor and and paid like a hefty sum. I think it was like like $10 or something like that towards paying for like it to be campaigning and stuff and then when we think about them netting 35 like it just the math ain't math and i'm not great at math Mm -hmm. so further from this there doesn't seem to be much of a lasting impact after hands across america uh the event didn't promote any specific legislature or social program changes it didn't call for people to vote or to volunteer at organizations that actually impacted the crisis. And while discounting the entire event based on it not being everything to everyone, it you know, you can't really do that. But I mean, it does leave me with a bad taste in my mouth, and a lot of other people felt the same based on news reports. Um, yeah, it was people, more like a stunt than anything. Yeah, a lot of people felt kind of duped. And this is kind of where Jordan Peele starts to talk about his inspiration from Hands Across America and into us. He he said, there's a quote that says, the imagery, imagery of Hands Across America came up while I was writing, and for a reason I can't explain, it actually terrifies me. In other interviews, he calls out, like, the hollow hope and preying on the naivety of people that wa- that were involved in Hands Across America. So it was very much, like, I think that the folks who wanted to participate were very genuine Mm-hmm. And it was a very, very rah, rah, we're doing it without actually making any impact. So it was a way to make middle-class folks turn out and feel really good about themselves while actually not truly making any lasting change that would help people. Yeah. So a hope without anybody really stepping up to make it happen is one of one of the things that uh, Peel talks about. And further from that, where over 5 million people came together to sing and to smile and to call the work done all the work and the damage and the choices that led to the work needing to be done have never been done and nobody's taken responsibility for them either. It's like saying, wow, that sucks. And maybe telling a friend that that kind of sucks and then moving on with your life. Like it's 15 yeah. minutes, everybody came together and sang a song and called it done. And to me, there's a creepiness and an exhaustion to what hands across America seems to embodied. It's symbolic blameless it's hopeful and a really 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 good distraction 
something that seems a little too good to be true as well, which I, I think that it was too good to be true as far as the disbursements of funds goes. And again, the delivery of the funds and the true intentions behind the event leaves a bad taste in the mouth. Um, it's really interesting to me that the Tethered would use this event. In the timeline, it's very likely when we look at the movie that it's the first real act of like protest or coming together, or like a big everybody get together event that Addie saw before being swapped with Red. This event would mm-hmm. have happened in May and she was at the boardwalk in June. So, you know, core yeah. kid memory. And it's it's really interesting to me that that's part of the movie lore, that it's this time, you know, they also talk about the Lost Boys and when they would have filmed, like, the setting for this universe in this time was really, really well done, just to call that out at the end. And so Red ended up using this as a protest, um, which wasn't the change, but it did get all the eyes on them. So much yeah. like the true Hands Across America didn't actually create change, it just got everybody looking. Yeah, that was her goal, though, like, get everybody mm-hmm. to see and everything. Yeah, her action, she actually she actually made change in action, <laughs> murdering everybody. Not great. I mean, great. that'll get people's attention. That'll get people's attention. But then she also knew she needed a way just to get eyes, and so that's the, you know, the Hands Across America situation. And that's the story of Hands Across America. Um, it's not so far back into our American history that our listeners, like, wouldn't absolutely know it or, like, would have never heard of it before. And I'm sure there's people listening that have actually participated. I just as like a curiosity piece would love to hear from you about what it was like to participate in that event. Um, because looking back through newspapers and stuff, it's like, I'm sure I can get an idea of like, they did an okay job of like, this is a positive and this is a negative and this is like, but really what was it like? I want to know. Let me know. That's my call. But it was just some weird thing. It's like when people were doing flash mobs. Like, okay. <laughs> it's like a like a nationwide flash mob. Yeah. Uh, All right. Let's okay, guys. Let's do that. Yeah. So I don't know how much it, you knew about Hands Across America. Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. It's kind of fallen into this uh political punchline a little bit. Like it's called out in a lot of animated comedy shows of like because it's so fucking goofy and yeah. it did nothing. Yeah. Like it's just all hope and, and nonsense. So, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, what should we watch for next week? We're watching The Baba Duke. That took me a minute. <laughs> Ooh, I like The Baba Duke. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, if you want to hang out with us, you want to know what's going on, uh, you want to keep up with us on social media, you can do so by going over to Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok. We are way more active on Instagram in case yes. that is of interest to you. Um, we're over there way more often. Um, you find us at Nothing Scarier Podcast. We also have Nothing Scarier Podcast at gmail.com if you would like to send us a note or an email. Um, we also have up on Spotify if that's where you're listening. We do have like a, a little question, a little like, hey, how's it going? What do you think? Um, drop us a line if you have thoughts or feelings about the delivery of the synopsis this week, or if you just want to say hi. I always like getting comments there. It's nice, nice little pop up to my day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I hope you guys have a great week. Watch out for doppelgangers and disingenuous charity programs. <laughs> <laughs> That's the real fucking problem. Yes, it it truly is. All right. Well, bye. Bye.